Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Sharissa Fong. Let's pray. Our loving Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here this afternoon and uh, for blessing us so all day with so many wonderful messages. But Lord, as we study the Bible together now, we invite your spirit to be present in our midst. We pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. May Jesus be uplifted. And Lord, may we leave this time today fully charged by your spirit because of the time we have spent with Jesus. This is my prayer, Lord, and I pray that this message will be a challenging one, but one that will stir us to action. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It was early on a Monday morning in Sydney, Australia. That's where I come from. And we had just had a lady come and do some ministry at our church. She was from your country, and she was going to another part in Australia to continue her ministry tour down under. And uh, the only problem with this was that she had to catch a 6 o'clock flight on Monday morning to her next destination. And the problem with that was, in order for her to be there one hour before her flight, I would need to leave home at four o'clock in the morning on a Monday. All of these things do not add up to a good start to your week. But anyhow, I woke up at 3.30 and I came and I got into the car and I sat in the car waiting for her to come and join me. My eyes were at half mast. And uh, finally, my sister, she also came. She hopped in the back seat of the car and we waited for our guest. She came through the garage door and jumped in the passenger seat. We drive on the opposite side of the road to you. So the driver's seat is your passenger seat, just so you know. Anyhow, so she sits in the seat, we prayed together, and then I promptly put my car in reverse and began to reverse out of the garage when suddenly there was this loud bang. The whole house seemed to shake, my car shook, and I looked in my rearview mirror and I realized that I had reversed into the garage door. I had forgotten to lift the garage door before reversing out of it, and so I thought, oh no, this is terrible. What a great start to my week. So I jumped out of the car, I had a look at the back of the car. The car was okay, praise the Lord, but the door was not okay. I thought, oh, well, I jumped back in my car, and that's when the garage door to the house opened, and there was my dad. I'd forgotten that my parents' room was right above the garage, and so when I had hit the door, the whole house had shaken and woken him up. And when I saw him there at the garage door, I had this feeling like I felt like he had a lot of things he wanted to say to me, but he didn't know where to start. And so I mouthed to him from the driver's seat, I'm sorry, Dad, I didn't mean to do it, but we got a plane to catch. And so I reversed out of the garage and took off for the airport. We made the plane. And later that day, I got to work because I went from the airport to my office. I work at the Adventist Media Center in their Bible school, Discovery. And I, I got to my desk and I thought, you know, I should check on my family because that was not a very good start to the morning. So I called my mom. I wasn't going to call my dad. I called my mom and I said, Mom, how's everything going? She said, well, darling, the, the garage doorman came and he's had a look at the door and it can be fixed. It's going to be expensive, but it can be fixed. I said, oh, Mom, tell me how much it cost. Tell me how much. I'm the one who wrecked the door. 
I want to pay for it. She said, no, 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 dear, it's okay. I said, no, please, mom, tell me how much it cost. We went back and forth like this for what seemed like a long time until finally she said, it was the mark of the beast. It cost $666 for us to get the garage door fixed. Now, looking, not looking back in my story was a very expensive mistake on that Monday morning. But in the story that we're about to go through together now, looking back was even more costly than reversing into my garage door. In fact, if you have your Bibles, and I know you do, let's begin our reading this afternoon in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 17. And I'd like us to pick up our reading from verse 26. These are the words of Jesus. They're in red in my Bible. Luke chapter 17. Verse 26. Are you there? Some people are there. Luke 17, verse 26. This is what the Bible says. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now here as we come to the Bible, we find that Jesus is talking to his disciples. These were people who loved him. And he is talking to them about the last days. And as he speaks on the last days, he references two Bible characters and their times, Noah and Lot. Both Noah and Lot lived in days of religious compromise and moral decay like we do today. In fact, uh, if I just put this on the screen, apparently Billy Graham once said this. He said, if God does not strike America for its sins, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. We are living in times like they did today. In fact, whenever I travel on international flights, and I know many of you came on an international flight, I always like to sit on the aisle seat because it means I can get up and move whenever I want to. But on my way over on this particular trip, I ended up sitting in the middle seat and there was an elderly lady on the window and an elderly gentleman on the aisle and I had the middle seat and it wasn't too long before I realized that these two knew each other and they were married. And I said, oh, would you like to sit next to each other? She said, no. <laughs> she didn't want to sit with him. <laughs> so she said, he likes the aisle and I like the window. So I sat in the middle and I felt like part of the family. Anyway, <laughs> but when I do travel on international flights, I like to sit on the edge and I like to get up and stretch or whenever I do, it's the most surreal experience when I stand up because I look around me on the plane and I look at what people are watching on their television screens and all over the plane, I kid you not, you know what it's like if you've been on a flight, all over the plane there are people sleeping with people on television screens everywhere. There are people killing people on the back of headrests everywhere. There is spiritualism being visually consumed on television screens everywhere. Every weird and worldly, wacky kind of rubbish is being visually consumed by passengers, and they sit there, take it all in, and they're not embarrassed or blink an eyelid. It's amazing to me. I feel like when I travel on a plane that I'm in a flying city of Sodom. 
that's what it feels like. And Jesus, as he references these times, and he talks about the last days, he talks about a number of other activities too. He says they would eat and drink and buy and sell and marry and give and given marriage. Question, is there anything wrong with these activities? No. But Jesus brings our attention to them because he is anxious that you and I do not become so absorbed in daily life that we forget that life's great purpose is to prepare for an eternity with Jesus Christ. Oh, come on, we're Adventists. That was an amen moment. Our life's great purpose is to prepare for an eternity with Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm glad you said amen. (laughs) All right, so the Bible tells us that Lot lived in Sodom. Do you know what Sodom was like? According to everything that I read in the Bible and according to what uh, many archaeologists tell us, They tell us that the Jordan River, it threaded through the valley of Sodom into the Dead Sea. In fact, many archaeologists believe that the remnants of the city of Sodom are buried beneath the Dead Sea. And from all accounts in the Bible, we are told that Sodom was in a very beautiful part of the Jordan Valley. In fact, the place where Sodom was, it was described as looking like the Garden of God. God. That's from Genesis 13. Isn't that amazing? That's how beautiful and attractive it was. In fact, it was so beautiful that one day in Genesis chapter 13, two men stood on a hillside looking out over this valley. And they they were an uncle and his nephew and they were friends. God had blessed them so much so that their flocks were becoming overcrowded and they needed to part ways in order for there to be enough space. And so Uncle Abraham, he turns to his young young nephew Lot and says, Lot, take a look at this. Take your pick. Wherever you choose to take your herds and your family, you go there and I will take my herds and, and my family and we'll go, some other, we'll go the opposite direction. Lot was given a first choice. And I may be preaching to the choir, but I just want to say that first choices in life are more important than we realize. I say to young people when I meet them, I say, you might think it doesn't matter what you, you know, the kind of friends you hang out with. It doesn't matter what you do with your time. It doesn't matter what you eat or who you date. All of these things, you feel like you're invincible when you're young. But friends, those first choices we make in life are more important than we realize. And Lot here, he's given a first choice to make. And as his eyes scan the valley, they settle on the city of Sodom. And as soon as he sees that place, it is so beautiful. It is like he can't see anything else. And so he says to Uncle Abraham, I'll go there. And the Bible tells us that Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. And that one direction was a wrong direction because soon Lot and his family, they traded their tent for a townhouse and soon the whole family moved into the city of Sodom. And I've put here on the screen just the progression that we watch in the story of Lot. We see he was looking at Sodom. Then he pitches his tent towards Sodom, and in just a couple of moments, you will find that he actually ends up living in Sodom. In fact, come with me to the story in Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19 is perhaps one of the most dramatic chapters in all the Bible, but it's it's one you have to see for yourself. Genesis chapter 19, and we'll begin our reading in verse 1. 
The Bible says, now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and he said, hear now, my lords, please, turn into your servant's house and spend the night, and wash your feet, that you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. Everything is not always as it seems. And let me tell you that Sodom was no holy city. What were the sins of Sodom? Apart from it being in its very name, Sodom, Sodomy. Friends, they were a proud and perverted people. They thought life was all about cheap pleasure. They, everything they did was corrupt and corrupting. They loved sin in Sodom. It was all over the television, on every channel. It was all over Facebook. It was all over Instagram. It was all over Snapchat. It was glorified on every billboard down the freeway in Sodom. It was all about sex in the city. You and I cannot begin to imagine the perversion and the degradation that existed in this wicked city. And they would dance the night away and try to drown out the emptiness, the nagging emptiness of their pathetic lives lives with alcohol and drugs and whatever they could do to numb it. Their lives were empty because they did everything sensual, vulgar, and immoral in this place. And there was violence. You probably think I'm describing your own city, but I'm talking to you about Sodom. I feel like I'm talking to you about Sydney. Sodom, there was violence. Life was cheap. Pleasure lovers will do anything to get what they want, even if it means killing for it, and people would kill. And so pornography was everywhere. Marriage was something temporary, and ruined lives were the result of it all. And the Bible tells us, friends, that Lot was living in this place. I think sometimes that honestly, Lot could be a poster boy for spiritual compromise. He went from looking towards Sodom to pitching his tent towards Sodom to living in Sodom. Archaeologists tell us that they have even discovered what they believe to be a rock with Lot's name on it outside of where they believe was the gate of Sodom. And the Bible tells us that he sat in the gate. He, this means he was a judge. He was respected in Sodom. But you don't get respected in a city like this unless you're willing to be quiet about some aspects of your faith. HMS Richards used to say that righteous Lot was the mayor of Sodom. By the way, the Bible actually describes Lot as a righteous man in 2 Peter. Uh, is it Second Peter, if I got it right? Second Peter chapter 2, he's, it's this, he's described as a righteous man. And perhaps Lot had thought, well, I will go and I will live in this place. I will sell them my corn and my cattle, and I'll be a lighthouse in this community. But their Bible doesn't record that there was ever a single convert from Lot's time there in Sodom. And I've got on the screen here Proverbs 14 verse 12. The Bible says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Question, do you think that Lot knew what Sodom was like? I believe he did too. Of course he did. He had to know. But friends, while Abraham is walking by faith, 
Lot was living by sight, and he chose to live among the peoples of those plains of illicit pleasure in a valley filled with the smog of sin. Gradually, Lot and his family, over time, they made new friends. And as they started to assimilate into the culture of the place, they started to dress a little bit like the Sodomites. They could talk a little bit like them. In fact, they could put on a party just as good as any other Sodomite family could. And Lot's wife, I hope you realize I'm using some spiritual imagination here, but she loved it. She loved the bright lights. She loved the social life. She loved the music and all the activity. She had always wanted to live in the city. Abraham's nomadic lifestyle of sheep herding had never really gelled with her, and she always wanted her girls to get ahead and meet and marry city boys who were studying and making something of their lives. She didn't want her girls marrying one of Abraham's sheep boys. When I think about the reasoning that she may have employed in her mind, I realize something, and it's applicable to us today. You and I can be caught pitching our tents towards Sodom too when we choose to spend little time in God's word and more time on other pressing matters. When we choose to spend little time on our knees but make a lot of time for our friends. When we choose to 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 do a career, and this may not be applicable to you, but when we choose to do what we do based on how much money we will make rather than on how we can do service for God. A question, where is our tent pitched today? Are we pitching it towards Sodom? You see, friends, the Bible tells us that there is a limit beyond which God will not tolerate sin. And Sodom reached that limit. But before God took action against this wicked city, the Bible tells us that God decided to spare Lot and his family. And do you know the reason why? It's actually right here in chapter 19. Notice verse 29. The Bible says, And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered who? God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Friends, Lot was saved because of Abraham's prayers. Do you realize that spiritual strongholds come down when prayers of intercession go up? We are sitting here today because somebody prayed for us. I'm standing before you because somebody prayed for me. Don't stop praying for your loved ones. Don't stop praying for your friends. God answers prayer. That's, a, that's an amen, by the way. <laughs> it's not a... Okay. When I do this, it means amen. All right. <laughs> So, and it's very interesting when you look at the story, when God told Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom, Abraham pleaded with God. He said, Lord, what if there are 50, 40, 30, 20, 10, and he stopped at 10. And as long as Abraham kept pleading, God kept granting mercy. So don't stop praying because prayer is very powerful. But one night we are told an answer to Abraham's prayers that two angels arrived in the city of Sodom. They walked through the gates of the city as the sun was setting. And Lot, in spite of his faults and failures, he's still a righteous man at heart. He knows what is right. And he sees these two strangers come in, and he recognizes that they're not like everybody else. These are good 
men. And so he goes up to them, introduces himself, and invites them to come and spend the night at his house because he knows how dangerous it is for people like this to be in the open square at night. He knows what his city is like. And at first the angels say, no, it's okay, we'll stay here. But the Bible, you read it, the Bible tells us that Lot begged them, he implored them, please come. And so the angel said, all right, we'll come. And that night, Mrs. Lot, she made a beautiful meal. They all sat down, had a nice fellowship time together, pleasant conversation. They were just about ready to turn in for the night when there was a a banging at the door. And Lot goes and he peers through the window and as he looks outside, he sees that his house is surrounded by the men of Sodom, old and young, maybe 50, maybe more, and they're outside of his house and they're demanding that Lot turn over the two guests that he has in his home. That's how sick this place was. Can you imagine if you had a knocking at your door and there were 50 men outside wanting to get at your guests so that they could commit sodomy with them? Well, Lot does something strange and very strange. He steps outside of the door and he tries to tell them, please, no, leave them alone. And then he offers to these men his two daughters instead. And I read this and I'm thinking to myself, this is so unnatural. Why would someone do something so stupid? Stupid is a strong word, but I think it's appropriate for this this part of the story. And the only thing that I can put it down to is this. Friends, sin is insane. Lot is living in a city where he is surrounded by this insanity, and obviously it has rubbed off on him too, to the point where the best solution he can think of at this point in time is to offer his two daughters. Well, the men of Sodom didn't want his girls, and so they turned on him instead, and it's at that moment the door opens, an angel reaches out, grabs Lot, pulls him inside, shuts the door, and strikes the perverts with blindness, and then notice what the angel says in verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. It's at this point that Lot realizes that he has been entertaining angels who have been sent by God to his house to tell him to get his family out of the city because God was about to wipe this city off the face of the earth for its wickedness. Verse 14, So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law he seemed to be joking. Incredible. In those twilight hours, I can see him in my mind's eyes running to his family's home, running to the homes of his sons-in-law, knocking on the door. They open the door and he tries to tell them, to convince them it's time to get out of Sodom because God's impending judgment is about to fall upon this city. But friends, in the most serious moment of his life, Lot's family thought he was a joke. In fact, I have in front of me the New King James Version. And in the New King James, it says they thought he was joking. 
Dad, you can't be serious. You think God is going to destroy this city? Why? You've never talked like this before. Why would God suddenly be so unhappy with this city now? Friends, if your Christianity isn't contagious, it must be contaminated. Lot's lifestyle of compromise had made his family soft on spiritual commitment. And I think about Lot, and I think about myself, and I ask myself, Sharissa, if a time were to come and you were to go to your loved ones, to your friends, and tell them, Jesus is coming soon, would they believe you? Or would your lifestyle, would the way you've been treating them, would the way you've interacted with them in the past cause them to think that you were joking? Verse 15. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. Now you'd think, well, I would like to think that if angels came to us here today and said, Get out of this place, because there there is destruction going to come to this place, I'd like to think that if an angel came to me and said that, that I would just take the angel's word for it and go. And I wish that Lot did that, but you read the Bible, and evidently he was in no hurry at all. Yes, he goes and tells his family, but morning comes and the whole family is still in the city of Sodom. Because you know what? They didn't really want to go. I mean, Lot's wife, she didn't want to go. And his daughters, well, they couldn't work out what they were going to wear. The whole family just kept dilly-dallying around until finally when the morning breaks, the angels change their tune. And when you read the word there where it says, arise, that's a command, literally up, get up, go. It's, you've got to get out of this place. There, you do not have time to waste. And notice what happens, verse 16. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. Friends, imagine it. This family, angels literally take them by the hand and run them outside of the city. That's amazing. Verse 17, so it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, the angel that is, escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. And I just want to put on the screen here a contrast that I think is interesting. The contrast between the words of men and the words of angels. Just hours before, Lot had said to these two men, please come spend the night at my house. His words were calm, peaceful, relaxed. Notice in contrast the message of the angels. Escape for your life. Heaven sees things very differently to the way we see things. The angel says there is urgency here that is needed. And so, verse 23, The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zohar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Friends, the liquid, fiery judgment of God falls upon this city and the cities of the plains. Verse 25, So he overthrew those cities. All the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But, verse 26, his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. This is almost unbelievable when I think about this story. It's incredible. 
There she is. She is on the very brink, the very border of salvation. She was almost there, almost safe. And she had but one thing to do. Escape, run for your life, and don't look back. Question, was that a hard thing? Is that a hard thing to do? Someone shaking their head at the back, and there's a no here. I agree. It's not a very complex command, not a very complex thing to follow through. And yet it was still too much for her. With the flaming sulfur of the wrath of God falling behind her, with the cries of the perishing filling her ears, Lot's wife just couldn't help herself. And so without thinking, mark those words, without thinking, thinking. She turns to take one last longing love glance at her condemned home. And we know she's looking down because Sodom was 381 meters below sea level. She looks back at her home and she doesn't even have enough time in that look to make out her own home in the city. And the, the words used in the Bible in the Hebrew indicate that when she looked, it wasn't just a passing glance, but she looked and it was an intense gaze as she's looking back at her city looking back at her home. And just like that, the Bible tells us that she is turned into a pillar of salt. There is a naked solemnity about these words. The sum and substance of her sin lies in three words. She looked back. Question. Does this sin seem small to you? Thank you, someone did an mm, and I agree. To me, it seems small. And yet, friends, this is not a fairy tale. This is a true story. Go back to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 17. Uh, Luke chapter 17, and we are up to verse 31. Luke 17, verse 31. Jesus says, In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. And then then comes the Bible's second shortest verse. Remember Lot's wife. Jesus sounds like he's being extreme here. You can't even go back to get your jacket or a jumper, that's what we call it in Australia, or your sweatshirt. You can't even go back to get something like that. He says, don't come back. Maybe, because we can't go back, we should all have a backpack ready and packed to go so that when the time comes, we're ready to go. I'm not being serious, by the way. I'm just putting out thoughts there for you. Why can we not turn back? Well, Jesus tells us the reason why, and he says the reason is because remember Lot's wife. These are solemn words, because I don't know about you, but I'd much rather remember Lot. (laughs) At least he escaped. But instead, Jesus singles out the only person in our story who was lost, and she died in her sin, and he says, remember her. Why? We hardly know anything about her. We don't even know her name. The Bible tells us more about other women in the Bible like Sarah and Leah and Rachel and Ruth. But Lot's wife, she hardly receives a subtitle in the pages of Scripture. But friends, if Jesus tells us to remember something, is it important? 
Absolutely. By the way, when the Bible says remember, God's not calling for us to remember in the abstract recollection sense of the word, like, ah, I have an appointment on Monday. That's not what God is saying. When God tells us to remember, it is because he wants us to do something in response. For example, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. To the church at Ephesus, remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Remember Lot's wife? There's something he wants us to do about this in remembering her. And so I want just to put on the screen just four lessons that I think we can take from her story. The first thing that we should remember is that she was lost, although she had great privileges. Friends, in remembering Lot's wife, we should remember that she was Lot's wife. And as I said before, Lot, in spite of all of his faults and all of his failures, is still described as a righteous man. She was married into the only family on the face of the planet who was worshiping the one true God. Hashtag blessed woman. She has Uncle Abraham. Abraham for an uncle by marriage. Abraham, the father of the faithful, the friend of God. She had heard his prayers. She had seen his altars. She and her husband were at the top of Abraham's prayer list. She was the most prayed for person, one of the most prayed for persons in this city, and yet she was still lost because the faith that she professed was a pretended one and not a personal one. And as I realized this, and as I think about this, I realize that privileges do not save us. Do you realize it is a privilege to be a member of God's church? It is a privilege to be part of OCI. It is a privilege to serve Jesus in the mission field, but privileges do not save us. Gehazi was Elisha's servant. Judas was Jesus' disciple. We need something more than privileges if we're going to be saved. We need a relationship with Jesus Christ. I have here on the screen a quote from Spirit of Prophecy. This hit me hard when I read it. Those who hear the gospel invitation calling sinners to repentance and heed it not are more guilty before God than were the dwellers in the vale of Siddim. And still greater sin is theirs who profess to know God and to keep his commandments, yet who deny Christ in their character and daily life. In the light of the Savior's warning, the fate of Sodom is a solemn admonition, not merely to those who are guilty, Guilty of outbreaking sin, but to all who are trifling with heaven-sent light and privileges. Let us not trifle with the privileges that we have in knowing God's word and in knowing him. So let's keep reading, or let me keep sharing rather. First lesson, remember that she was lost, although she had great privileges. Number two, remember that she was lost, although she received a clear warning of her danger. Friends, she had been touched by an angel. Angels took her by the hand outside of the city. That's amazing. What a spiritual experience that must have been. And as I think on her story, I think about ours. Friends, we too have received messages from angels. The three angels' messages. Not two, we've got three. Three angels' messages. And if we do not heed the three angels' messages, then we too will be lost. That is God's final call to the planet before he comes. Number three, remember that she was lost, although she had made some effort to be saved. We should remember, she actually made it outside of the city. 
That to me is pretty good. And then number four, remember that she was lost even though she was almost at a place of safety. Almost safe. Why does Jesus tell us to remember her? I believe that he brings our attention to this because he doesn't want for us to be almost Christians. To be almost fully charged. To be almost forgiven. To be almost converted. To be almost filled with the Holy Spirit. To be almost free from that addiction. To be almost committed. To almost be a prayer warrior. To almost be faithful. He wants for us to be fully committed to him. Amen? Amen. This look, yes, it looked like a little thing. But that look tells us a lot about her. First of all, it tells us she did not believe the message she received. And because she didn't believe the message, she wasn't going to obey the message. And she didn't obey the message because at the bottom of it all, she loved Sodom more than she loved God. Her heart was back in Sodom even though she stood on the plain. And I think about that and it's a good thing for us to ask ourselves who or what has our heart. Where is our heart today? What bugs us more. Well, maybe that's the Australian word. What disturbs us more? And a good way for us to do that, to test what disturbs us more is for me to ask you some questions and just think about it in the privacy of your heart. What disturbs you most? A lost soul or a scratch on your new car? Missing church or missing a day's work? Your church not growing or your garden not growing? Your Bible unopened or your newspaper unread? What disturbs you more? Millions who do not know Christ or your desire to keep up with the people around you? Your tithes decreasing or your income decreasing? Your children late for Sabbath school and church or your children late for school? Where where is our heart? Where are our priorities? By the way, when I think about Lot and his wife, how many children did they have? We know he has two daughters because he ran out of the city with two daughters. But do you remember? He went running around that night, knocking on the doors of his sons-in-law. Friends, they left behind family in the city of Sodom. In fact, Spirit of Prophecy talks about this. She says, um, while her body was upon the plain, her heart clung to Sodom and she perished with it. She rebelled against God because his judgments involved her possessions and her children in the ruin. And when I read that and I think about this, I feel a little bit of sympathy for her because her mother's heart must have been breaking. Her children are back there. And who knows, maybe they even had grandchildren in the city. But this story tells me something very important, and that is this. Jesus needs to be more important to me than my own family. Jesus has to be the most important person in my life. And I think, too, about the words of Jesus in Luke 6, 47. He said, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. And then he goes on and he describes the wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rains come down, the floods rise, and the house stands firm. The person who is wise is someone who does God's sayings, who does what Jesus says. 
The foolish man hears but does not do and his house crashes. What was the difference between the wise and the foolish man? One did it and the other did not. And I just think about this and I think about the story that we're looking at. I don't know if that is Lot's wife, but I put it there because because, uh, I found it when I Googled it. And also because Josephus says that he saw her which means that this salt statue or what they believed to be the salt statue of Lot's wife existed for over 2,000 years till the time of Jesus, which is why Jesus references, maybe another reason why he references this story as well. People knew about it. But friends, Jesus tells us when the time comes to leave this world, don't look back. Don't go back. And here's the reason why. In fact, this is the most important point of the whole sermon. Day by day, Moment by moment, my most important preparation for the second coming of Jesus is to have my mind with God today. That's the most important thing. Day by day, my heart has to be with Him. You see, character isn't built in a crisis. It is revealed in a crisis. She had been building foolishly for a long time. The look which seemed to be a decision she made in an instant was one she had been making her life, her whole life. And friends, there are some decisions that we have to make ahead of time. And having a relationship with Jesus and deciding that nothing is worth trading that relationship for is something that we need to decide today. Amen? Jesus must come first. Eternity with him is what matters most. And uh, I get excited when I think about how close we are to the soon return of Jesus Christ. I know I sound like a broken record because we've been saying Jesus is coming soon for a long time. But I believe it with all my heart that he is coming very soon. The, the, the headlines are shouting it at us every single day. And the most important thing for me is to make sure that I have my mind with Jesus today. And if I haven't been building my life right, well, guess what? This is a good news sermon because we have time to start building right today. You might say, Sharissa, you don't know what my struggle is. You don't understand what I'm battling with. You're right, maybe I don't. But friends, God does. And when we are weak, there is someone who is strong. And his name is Jesus. And he will help us by his spirit. Amen. Nothing is impossible with God. And if I make no apology about getting excited about the second coming, because for me, it's personal. Jesus is coming back for me. Because he has a place in heaven prepared for me. And in case that sounds selfish, let me tell you, he has a place in heaven prepared for you. He is coming back for you. And you know what? When Jesus comes, and that's just one artist's portrayal, but when Jesus comes, I want to be looking up and not looking back. I want to be fully charged and ready to meet him. I want to put a smile on his face and say, Lord Jesus, I have waited for you because I know that you will save me and you have come. I want to be ready to meet my Lord. Don't you? I believe that the story of Lot's wife is preserved in the pages of sacred scripture to preserve us. Salt, if you think about it, it acts as a purifier and a preservative. And so if we allow, if we just reflect as we have this afternoon, if we reflect on the story of Lot's salty wife, 
and allow it to do its salty work in our lives and allow it to refocus us on Jesus, then I believe that when he does come, we will put a smile on his face and we will be ready to meet him. We will be fully charged by the indwelling of his spirit in our hearts. In fact, I'd like to invite Naomi up because I want us to sing a response to this message. I feel that you would like to respond by saying, I choose today to give my heart, my mind, my soul, everything that I am to the Lord Jesus Christ. If that is something you can stand to, stand for this, because let's sing together. Simple song. I have decided to follow Jesus. 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 No turning back. No turning Loving Father in heaven, we have just sung the prayer of our hearts. We have decided to follow you, Lord, no turning back. That's our desire. And Lord, while sometimes we have the will, but we do not have the power, we know that you have that power. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be faithful to Jesus every single day, moment by moment. May you have our hearts. We surrender to you again, our minds, so that you may have full control. We invite you, Lord, to fill us. This afternoon, we did what you called us to do. We remembered her. And in remembering her, Lord, we have chosen to never forget Jesus. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would keep us. And, Lord, we long for the day when we won't have to pray with our eyes closed, but we will look up and we will see you face to face. Until then, Lord, keep us faithful is our prayer. And thank you again for just bringing us here, for feeding us, and for the time we're enjoying in fellowship with your people. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening to Go Teach All Nations here on 3ABN Australia Radio. Welcome to Healthy Living Around the World. I'm on site at Hergelia Lifestyle Center in Romania, and my guest today is George Mera. Oh, thank you for having me here. No worries. Thank you for being on the program. So, can you share with me where you are from to start with? Um, I am from Ecuador, South America. Okay, South America. And now you're here in Romania. That's right. How did you get all the way here? Well, I will try to make the long story short. Okay. Um, I was raised up in the city all my life. I lived in Ecuador and in the States. I will uh, go back and forth because of my parents' job. And uh, well, eventually we decided to buy a farm and go live to the countryside, trying to follow God's advice for our lives. And in that time, I had two goals in my head. Mm-hmm. One was to start building my house, thinking about the future. Yes. Or the other one was to go to a mission school to ah. get more training so I can use in the mission work. That's the main reason why we moved to the countryside. Mm-hmm. And well, I was praying about it for many months, maybe five, six months, and I felt like I had no answer. So uh, I decided, well, maybe I should start building the house. So. With my dad, we were checking the materials, and when I was about to buy the things to start building, mm. I received a, a call from a girl that I didn't know, and she told me about Hergelia. Oh! And until that point, I've never heard about Hergelia, and okay. well, from then on, God like worked in many ways, and it was clear that that was His uh, answer to my prayer, uh-huh. and God opened the doors, and now I'm here for almost a year. Wow! So what have you been doing here? Uh, we tried to receive trainings that helps us to develop in all areas, both mm-hmm. physically, spiritually, and mentally. And mm-hmm. among the classes we receive, it's uh, for example, we get nutrition courses, we get uh, how to make healthy cooking. Okay, yeah. So among the other things, uh, among the other classes we receive and courses, we also get uh, physiology and we also get uh, theoretical training in massage and and uh, hydrotherapy, and then we also get the practical part. We get to practice here in the sanitarium next to ah, school. Ah, good, okay. Mm-hmm. And we get after, well, once we finish the course, we actually get to work with uh, patients. Ah. And uh, we also get agriculture classes, both good. the theory part and also the practical, how to grow our own food and in mm. an organic and a more healthy way. And 
how to yeah give Bible courses and also we have different spirit prophecies, short courses on Daniel okay. and Revelation and Wow, so it's quite a variety of all sorts of different things, um, topics that you're learning about here. Yes, it's um, we get many different uh, subjects and one way or the other they're all connected in the mission work so it's yes nice. okay so very useful things that you're yes. learning yeah wow okay good so obviously this place is a a lifestyle center so it's um helping people change their lifestyle um it's sort of natural for people who are here to have some appreciation already for a living a healthy lifestyle so what i'm wondering is how did you come to appreciate healthy living principles in your life personally well, uh, I was not born Adventist, uh, okay. therefore when I was born, I like most people, everything, um, mm. all sorts of meat and everything that moves will be part of <laughs> our food. But then yes. um, maybe about eight years, well, my parents got baptized, well, I'm 22, my parents got baptized when, uh, maybe 18 years ago, so since I was little, okay. I, we were starting to learn the message, but we were not uh, vegetarians or vegans. We ate still a normal diet. Yes. Like most of, like, let's say, the world. But then eventually, we little by little, we started making changes. And maybe the past eight, six years, we don't uh, eat any animal products anymore. And we've definitely uh, saw the change in our lives, not only physically, but also in the spiritual Oh, wow. Side. And I really do think it's a big connection between our physical health and our spiritual health. Yeah. So what kind of things have you noticed in terms of how the, the physical side has impacted your spiritual life? I think when we have a more healthy lifestyle, our mind can appreciate God's word uh, in a bigger way. Our mind is more sharp and we can really, uh, of course, we can understand fully everything that God has for us, but mm. we can definitely get a bigger picture. Yes, yes. Wow, so you've noticed an impact in that area as well. But did you notice any um, changes, like benefits in your physical health when you made those changes? Well, yeah, I would say, uh, well, most people now have different like cardiovascular diseases and, yes. and chronic diseases that are like, so for some people it's like you must have them at some point of your life. Mm. Mm. But we can see with this that it's really the result of our bad, uh, our bad lifestyle and bad habits that we have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we can definitely see the difference between our health and my health in comparison to, let, let's say, the average person. Yeah, right. And we yes. can be of a better testimony for them, both when we present the health message and also eventually the gospel. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, you can see how that's... Um... It's all about prevention, isn't it? Yes. Prevention through correct lifestyle habits, isn't it? Mm. So what would you say then is your favorite lifestyle practice habit that you have that you apply in your life? I know there are many different ones, but yeah. is there any that you particularly enjoy? Well, I like eating a lot. So <laughs> I think I like, I like, eating. <laughs> I like eating. What kind of things do you like eating? <laughs> I like eating delicious and nutritious food. Um, yes. I come from a tropical place, so I eat a lot of fruits. Okay. But mm -hmm. uh, the one I, I like the most is the physical like exercise. Oh, you like that? Okay. Yes. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a farmer, so it's part of my work. Ah, that's handy. So <laughs> it's something that re really makes me feel more useful. And yes, I would say maybe that the physical exercise. So you use your physical exercise to do your work which then you grow your food with your good food yes. and then you eat it and it's a nice cycle for oh, yes. you it's a nice cycle yes uh, uh, here the students they always uh 
Well, not make fun of me, but always like make jokes because I grow bananas. Okay. And I can eat every morning 12, 15 bananas. Oh, no really? Problem. You love bananas? But because of the physical work, it compensates and... Yes, yes, you're fine with a that. A nice experience. Mm -hmm. So you eat lots of fruits. What else do you like to eat? Well, it's part of our culture. We eat a lot of rice. Yes. So mm -hmm. maybe too much carbohydrates, but... <laughs> But yeah, we eat a lot of rice, pasta, and potatoes, uh -huh. things like that. Uh -huh. But definitely, I would say the fruits and the cereals are what I enjoy the most. Okay, yeah. yeah. And they're, they're plant foods that you're, you're mentioning, aren't they? Yes. Yes. I think you said earlier that you used to eat meat. You don't eat that anymore, is that no. correct? No, yeah, that's no right. More? What that's about right. any animal products like milk or... Uh, well, in eggs. the home, we don't buy them for maybe the past eight years. Oh, but, wow. Uh, from time to time, I will eat them outside of the home. Okay, yeah. yes. But you, you mainly focus on the, the plant yeah. foods. Yeah, very good. And you've experienced the benefits in your life in many ways by the oh, sounds yeah. of things. So if you were to talk to someone who has been maybe thinking about making changes in their life and their lifestyle, and they're thinking about adopting some healthy, a healthy lifestyle... Um, habits or something like that, making changes. What what would you say to them? What what words of maybe wisdom or advice from your experience that you have had would you recommend to them in order to help their experience be successful? Well, I guess uh, it depends so, like a lot on the person. Many people have like uh, preconceived ideas on mm -hmm. making lifestyle changes, and especially in diet, they will think like the food will become less like I don't know tasty or. Okay. Less yes. appetizing. Yes. So I guess it depends on the person, but the, I will say the general idea is that they should try it. There's mm. the good thing. You have nothing to lose. Yes. It's, it's just benefits. Mm -hmm. So I will say that's probably the ni nicest way to present it is that you have nothing to lose, but just gain. Yes. So it's a win or win situation that... If, if they try and, yeah. and go forward in that direction, they will, they're almost guaranteed to have benefits. Yes, is that yes. right? Yes, yes. Wow, that's really encouraging for people. <laughs> they're trying to consider what, you know, reasons to move forward in that direction. That's really, really encouraging. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us your experience. It's always encouraging to hear how people are um, adopting healthy lifestyles, living them out and also sharing with others. I would like to thank you for, for sharing all of this with us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your time. No problem. Um, our guest today has been George Mera. Uh, he's a student here at um, Hergelia Lifestyle Center in Romania. And um, we have been recording on site here. And uh, I'm your host, Casey Butler. And thank you so much for listening to Healthy Living Around the World. God bless. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.